really well. I just had the idea of saying hello, Dave, but the amount of people who must have done that to you over the last 25 years must be tedious. <laughs> I made that 39, yeah. Oh, uh, everyone knows one, don't they? Where are you in the world? Uh, in a small village called Trivenham, uh, which is about seven miles uh, west of Swindon, the Defence Academy. Oh, um, right. So the, the MOD's uh, biggest training. So, um, so do you get people in... It happens to be where I work. Wow. Oh, you work for the defence industry? Yeah, they are an MOD civil servant, yeah. Ah, well, thank you for your service. Can we say that for civil servants, or is that reserved to people who fight on the front line? <laughs> I'd reserve it for people on the front line, yeah. yeah. We, we're, we're very much the, um, uh, the backroom staff that, that keep things, uh, the, 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 the motions of, of government working. We, 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 we don't take any um, sort of too much in the way of praise or, or credit. We've, that's uh, rightfully reserved for... Um, for the for the frontline yeah. services, uh, frontline service personnel, uh, but obviously other other services as well, emergency services and whatnot. I know one person who, in fact, he's a classics graduate like me. Uh, he went into the army. Um, I think he was in Yorkshire. I think he's back in South London now as a father and a soldier. And it's it's lovely. He talks a bit like James Blunt, who is perhaps Britain's most famous current ex-soldier. Uh, has Blunty ever played yeah. for the MOD at Christmas? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I, I don't have too much knowledge about James Blunt, um, in all honesty. Obviously, I know he's a singer and I know he served in the Balkans um, yeah. in the 90s. But uh, I, I'd imagine he does do, um, certainly does do some, uh, for some, some stuff for uh, serving personnel. Um, I can't believe he would uh, leave that completely behind. Um, I'm sure he's gone out to Afghanistan and, and performed for the troops out there and, and, and other uh, active conflict zones. Um, but uh, as to exactly what he's done, um, I'm not sure. Here's a segue. I've done 160 of these. I know how to segue. I'm sure he's played Reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not Reading Festival, which he would probably play ironically, uh, then a venue in Reading. Are you back to um, watching live music? Do you watch much live music? Do you know what? No. Um, I've probably been to... Um... In terms of gigs, do you know what, I, even though I'm, I'm born and bred in Reading, I've lived all over because my dad was in the RAF, uh-huh. um, but born and bred in Reading, but I've never been to the Reading, Reading or Leeds festivals. Um, I've not been to Glastonbury, um, any of the big festivals. I did go to an NME gig in, uh, at the, uh, it, was a, it was a venue on the Oxford Road in Manchester um, that yeah. I went to, and that was about 15 years ago. Uh, same day that Reading beat Manchester City 2-0 at the City of Manchester Stadium. Thank you for that. That, that. that saved me a question. It is amazing how our lives are built on football results. And it doesn't even have to be your teams. I remember my bar mitzvah. The, I stood up in synagogue and did the thing. But I remember more because it was the day of Roy Essando. Ah, uh, Wiccan Wanderers. But Wic- the city. Wiccan Wanderers and the chap was found yeah. of teletext. It, literally that. They put out a... Uh, uh, a, a well, it wasn't even a request. It was a, almost a plea, wasn't it? Come and, you know, come and play for us. And funnily enough, Reading had played Wickham um, four days before that game at Adams Park. Um, I don't, if I remember right, they hadn't signed him at that point. But if they had, he only played about 15 or 20 minutes of that game. He'd had a few days with them. Um, we drew one all with them with a, um, a late equaliser. But then they go to Leicester and go and do that. And, of course, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. It, well, I think it's probably the only goal you score for them. But what a way to, well, to not just announce yourself in English football, um, but sort of implant yourself into 
uh, into English football and folklore. Yeah, that, and I remember Shaggy was at number one with It Wasn't Me. I remember finding that out just before the party <laughs> on the Sunday. But enough about my... I've got Bermitzra on my mind because my cousin Joe is Bermitzra at the end of the month. So I'm uh, thinking about that. I hope you get Joe on. I don't know how young you go with your Terrace Memoirs podcast, but I hope you get young fans in because they're the most interesting because they don't come freighted with any baggage of standing up and watching football or um, even Bosman, that era. Because Joe is 13, but he yeah. started going to Watford at five. So his, his Watford knowledge comes from five seasons in the Premier League and three really good seasons in the Championship, which is not much uh-huh. of a football fan. You want the agonies and the ecstasies, which is what your show Terrace Memoirs hopes to do. Yeah. Um, you're, you've oh, been going for about six yeah. months and uh, there are loads. You seem to drop two a week and you always plug them on Twitter with the L.S. Lowry painting. Yes. Yeah. I just, I just thought, you know, do you know what? I, I'll give you a little little kind of uh, background to how it all came about. And I followed Reading home and away for, well, I'm a Reading fan of uh, well, 32 years, as I say in every episode. Um, I've followed them away um, regularly since about 2003-ish. And a lot of those um, away days are obviously on the train with you know small groups of friends or occasionally on my own. And some of the best days I've had, even though you know it may have been uh, that we've been humiliatingly beaten, it's still been a really good day because you go on and you sit on a train for like three, three and a half hours, and you, you know you just happen to be sat opposite a table with a couple of other football fans um, who are going somewhere else in the country, and you never meet them before. You don't meet them again. You know, you don't swap numbers or anything. But you just have some of the best conversations going. I can remember coming back from Newcastle. Funnily enough, I've managed to humiliate in defeat. One of the biggest ones in my mind is a, is the Newcastle game, um, where we'd lost 3-0. But we were sat on a train with, I think, a Scunthorpe fan. There was a Bradford City fan. There was a Dagenham fan. And we just all kind of sat there chatting football, talking, you know, just, you know, and I've never seen them before, not seen them since. It was you know, just one of the best train journeys ever. That is an amazing idea for a TV show. Yeah, yeah, it was just literally, you know, that's, that's the idea behind much of the, or so it's much of the idea behind the, uh, the podcast. Um, because, you know, who, a, who doesn't like talking football when you're a football fan? And secondly, who doesn't like talking about their own, their own memories? I mean, it's a, yeah, I, I just thought it was a good idea and, Sat there one Thursday, just thinking, you know, I really, really like this idea. I've listened to, um, uh, well, pretty much gone through the back catalogue during lockdown of Under the Cosh, uh, which if people don't necessarily know, it's, a, it's another podcast run by John Parkin and uh, Chris Brown, the footballer and Chris Brown comedian. Um, and they talk to other ex-pros about their, their life, their football life, their experiences and whatnot. And they've got about 130, 140 episodes. And just got me thinking there isn't really anywhere for football fans to talk about their own history you know you've got your ex-pro memories you've got uh, sort of divisional uh, specific um, shows you've got you know a whole variety of different podcasts but one that did was just sort of glaringly obvious to me was there's nowhere for fans to talk about their life supporting their club so I just thought you know what I'll happily listen to people. And if nobody else wants to listen to it, absolutely fine. But I'm still going to put people's stories out there if anybody wants to listen to it. So, and that's pretty much how it came about. Would you, and over yes. the course of a couple of hours, one Thursday, it was, you know, I'd got 
I mean, there is a website. There's not a lot on there at the moment. Yeah, it's there, ready to be ready to be used. If anybody's willing to sort of take up a little bit of sort of digital, uh, um, sort of digital time, as it were, to help me with the website, I'd more than happily uh, take that. Squarespace, um, I'd recommend. The Twitter account, uh, the email, the Gmail. So um, I set it all up, and it was ready to go. And then it was just a question: you know, Okay, where am I going to find my guests? And I messaged um, a friend of mine, Jamie Butler, who just happens to be a Reading fan. And the next thing, you know, we're recording and episode one goes out and it's kind of gone from there. Yes, the first one, Jamie Butler, Reading and England, uh, released in March. You must be getting better. Not that you weren't good when you spoke to Jamie and Neil Maskell and Paul Mann, uh, the first three, getting out the way, as you say, bedding in with Reading. Um, yeah. But now, do you come back to certain beats? Do you, as in, do you hit certain questions when you're talking to fans from as um, varied uh, clubs as Carlisle United, Birmingham City, Shrivenham FC, and uh, my friend Andrew Lorne, the Norwich City fan? Absolutely, yeah. Um, one of the things that I say to all of my guests is it's just literally an organic conversation. Um, I don't want it to be in any way scripted. We, we we go where the conversation takes us, much like what we're doing now, with a little bit of steerage, I suppose you could call it. But you know where the where the conversation takes us is 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 you know essentially the premise behind um, yeah. uh, behind behind the podcast. It, um, but without getting we, up and going to the loo, as you would on the train. Kind of, oh no, absolutely, yeah, or going to buy the beers. Yeah. Um, or of course the, <laughs> the champagne, as we had sometimes if we'd won. Um, uh, the, you know, the champagne train does get mentioned occasionally in the podcast. <laughs> um, I try to make it as organic as I possibly can, but you know the presenting style. I think, yeah, it was, it was a bit. Yeah, I, I'm sure if I listen back to the to the episode with Jamie, it'll be okay. Um, could have brushed up a bit there. It's got a little bit more. Uh, I want to call it professional. That's probably the wrong word, but practice streamlined, as it yeah. were. Um, there are certain things that, that that do crop up by and large. You know, think you know, your obvious things like you know playoffs and common theme, you know, common themes between my club and and my guests' club, uh, sort of ex-players and matches that we've played, um, and sort of memories. But yeah, as I say, we just go where the conversation takes us. Um, as I say, with a little bit of steerage, just yeah. try and keep it on on a, on a reasonable track within the broad scope of that individual's football club. You are not the first civil servant I've spoken to. You're not the last person to use the word streamlined, which is such a civil service. (laughs) Isn't that what Dominic Cummings wants to do to the civil service? Rather than wreck it, he wanted to streamline it. Uh, Yeah, I try to avoid uh, anything that Dominic Cummings wants to do, to be honest with you. Well, Um, so do I. Yes, he did. Reform. They wanted to reform um, the civil service. I believed it was... Uh, it was all much, much more high level than than where I sit. You know, when when you're actually getting into uh, from civil service, blending into the mechanics of government, I think was where he was really looking to um, uh, to, to change. No um, separation of powers. We need that. Yes. Oh no. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. Absolutely. We do. And we don't. You need to avoid avoid conflict of interest when, within the mechanics of government and the civil service. And those lines do get blurred very, very much when you're talking about politicians. It is one of my one of my personal bugbears that you find politicians with quite demonstrable conflicts of interest that there is absolutely no way I'd be able to get away with if I was in a, in a, in a similar position. Uh, um, yes. But We're talking, a, yeah, so. talking on the 12th of August and uh, this chap, Ben Elliott, who is clearly uh, having to go because this quintessentially 
cash for access is it's just not on and we've got the lex green cell capital fund but i fear i'm losing the uh, the invisible audience uh, as someone because i'm talking into a mic but i am imagining there's someone squatting in the corner eavesdropping or up in the eaves listening so when you're doing a podcast like this and you're not the last podcast i've spoken to do you imagine an audience as well not a particular kind of audience but just a third party standing in for the listener just to keep you on track as well no no not really um because i suppose if i can lean back into the uh conversation on the train theme you don't have an audience on a train when you're having a, uh, sort of the, that organic conversation that you have across the table with somebody you've never met. So no, uh, not, not at all. It's yeah, it's just me and that other person or persons in the room. Predominantly, it's, it's over the medium of, uh, of well, similar to this, it's being done over Zoom. Um, I do it over the, the Anchor app, but I have uh, I have sort of met people, um, and you do get people kind of occasionally sort of listening in and uh, and or what they're talking about or what they record. Can they see the phone? Literally, do it on my mobile phone. I've got no um, uh, sort of technological uh, sort of equipment with me at all, except my mobile phone. Yeah, you get people listening and sort of talking. Uh, or, or sort of thinking, you can see them thinking, what are they talking about? And they might want to try and join in, but nobody has yet. But no, when it comes to actually sort of sitting there and you know, thinking about perhaps having people in an auditorium, um, no, absolutely none of that enters my mind. Although, now that you've mentioned it, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it will do at some point in the future. This project can run and run because there are literally hundreds of thousands of football fans. You'll never go short on guests and one thing i'd like to congratulate you on is that very early you realized that there are football fans called amanda leah lucy emily eve amy val caitlin millie uh, christine jane and hannah which is of course rare because there are very 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 few books by women with that kind of name in the football library and you do get dave harris your football library membership card I don't know which Reading legend you want on it. Um, I'm going to offer you Brian McDermott. That would be a very, very acceptable choice. There's something about... I'm sure neither of them will, will complain about me saying this. Um, uh, something about bold managers getting promotion to the Premier League with Reading, because uh, Steve Coppel is also very much in that boat. Uh, but no, my, if I was to have somebody on my membership card, then uh, it would be Michael, Michael Jilt. And he's uh, a club legend, 13 years playing... The first player that I really took genuine note of, I mean, I, when I played as a kid, not to any particular, um, particularly high standard, either as a child or an adult, I hate to add. Uh, but when I played, I was left-footed, and I played on, on left midfield or left wing, and Michael Jilks was Reading's left wing. Uh, my first went to my, well, my first game was in November 1989. He'd been at the club four or five years by that point. Uh, he lasted another seven uh, before being transferred to Wolves. But yeah, he was a flying winger, you know, absolutely rapid. And, yeah, created so many goals, particularly in, in our purple patch in the sort of the early to mid-90s with Jimmy Quinn at the back post. How many times did we see Jilksy running down the wing, slinging it across to the back, to the back post, and there was Quiddy just to nod it in? Yeah, he was, by and large, my favourite, and all, probably always will be my favourite all-time Reading player, simply because, as I say, he played in my position, and it was exciting to watch. He scored 49 goals for the club, I think, and yeah, and created easily just as many. Two promotions under his belt as well. Played in the, uh, the playoff final in 95, won the penalty, which 
yeah, goes down again in, in red in front four. Unfortunately, Stuart Level missed it. They would have put us 3-0 up. But, you know, it, yeah, that's a long, very long way of saying, yeah, Michael Chilks. He's still at the club as well. Um, he did leave for a while. He coached at Hungerford Town for a while, um, managed them for a bit. But no, he's, uh, he's uh, an academy coach now at the club. And uh, I've met him a couple of times. He's an absolute gentleman. He really is a very humble man. Um, yeah, yeah, he's uh, someone who's, who's loved in the, the RG postcodes. That's wicked. Uh, and yes, I had written in my notes, this guy, he's got three middle names. At least the page that I looked at um, said he did. Do you know what those middle names are? You know what? To my shame, no, I don't. Well, here's some education for you. Because I, was, I, was, I saw he's got two roles at the club. Uh, he's um, like academy. He's in the academy and he does something else. Michael Earl Glennis MacDonald jilks. Yes. He's, I, I think I'm right in saying he's of uh, Barbadian descent. Yes. Um, I mean, they are well, very Caribbean names, really, aren't they? Um, yeah. Quite right. Um, Jokes was voted Reading's best ever left winger in 2005. Uh, I can't access the link. Um, I will talk more uh, to Reading fan John Keane next week, but you are helping me to tick off Excellent. Reading. As I try and read the 92, Roger Tipford, as I've said, is beyond my pay grade. Um, so I can't mm-hmm. get Roger. But I know of Roger's work, both the football in general and Reading, um, for when Saturday comes. I'm, do you subscribe to this magazine, which is the fans, uh, not Bible, because it comes out every month, kind of supplement. The supplement for football's um, song. I, I, I don't subscribe, um, but if there are um, articles that kind of pique my interest, I will uh, yeah, go and go down to my local news agent and certainly buy, uh, buy a copy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why uh, Terrace Memoirs, which is the podcast that we're really talking about today, hasn't been featured in When Saturday Comes. It must be that um, Roger hasn't written about it yet and there's, there's other things to talk about this year, like the Super League, uh, which Reading will not be a part of. But I'll ask you the difficult question in a minute. I just wanted to congratulate you again on getting all these ladies with this Her Game 2, which we all know, knew about in the middle of the Euros because they did that brilliant video passing it around. Um, it, I mean, it's stupid now. Football was a masculine domain 30 years ago. Now a football crowd should be a cross-section of society. Not just people with different skin pigmentation and different religions, but this is the next big frontier. How do you integrate in a public space, way lads, 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 and way woman who happened to appreciate, as the great podcast mentions, the offside rule. Do you find yourself optimistic for that? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, all credit to, uh, to Kaz and Lucy and, and all of the other, the, the, the 10 other women who, who bravely put their faces out there to the, to the original video on FA Cup final day. Um, raising awareness of this, I mean, it's, it's demonstrable that there's a, you know, a, an issue, still an issue with whether it be overt or covert sexism in society and sort of laddish culture, which, you know, I'm going to hold my hands up here. I have also sort of partaken in, in my, you know, certainly, certainly in my 20s. But, yeah, when you reflect on your own behaviours, you begin to think that actually that's not right. And when you hear women um, talking about their experiences and, you know, men might think, oh, yeah, it's, oh, it's only a throwaway comment. But you don't know how many throwaway comments that woman's had throughout that day, throughout that week, throughout that month, throughout her life. That comment could just be the straw that breaks the the camel's back. And that's the sort of thing, really, that I've that I've found predominantly within the episodes that I've had with the Her Game 2 uh, women. But on top of that, you know, you also have to take a look at sort of the opportunities 
to play football. Now, you mentioned um, the episode with uh, that involved Shrivenham FC. Now, that's with a woman that I know well called Val Clinch. I live in Shrivenham, and Shrivenham are my local Hellenic League club. I go down to watch them wow. occasionally when I can. God, what league um, are that Hellenic League? And, uh, that's like step five. Been, step five, yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, you know, Val has been a volunteer at, at Shrivenham for 20 years. And we, we talk at, at reasonable depth that the opportunities that she had to play football. Um, and she asked, you know, when she was at school, she's always loved football, but literally the only opportunities that she's had um, when she was a child was to literally play, you know, in the street or in the park, um, like you would do jumpers for goalposts. There was no organised uh, girls' teams at youth level, so she simply couldn't play. Boys' teams didn't, uh, well, evidently didn't allow women or girls to play. And so she's, you know, dipped out. You know, essentially a, 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 a childhood's worth of enjoyment playing football simply because she was born with the wrong body parts. Progress is being made on that. Now, in, it's interestingly that when, when Val asked when she was at school if she could uh, sort of form a girls' football club at school, um, she was outright refused, even if she said, well, if I can get a number of girls together, can we, can we create it? It was like, no, girls don't play football. Girls play hockey. Girls play netball. I think it was Emily Drakely, Birmingham City fan. Who, uh, who was in the same situation and asked, well, actually, the, the, it had progressed. There was no opportunity there for girls to play. But she asked, and they said, well, uh, if you can get enough girls together, then we'll create a football team. So there was that progression. But you've got to remember that, you know, foot, women's football, organised women's football was, you know, completely banned by the FA until Never 1971. Forget. Never forget that. Um, but they are doing better, so, the FA. You know, Absolutely, yeah. And, with, you know, with exposure, with, you know, with the BBC putting um, women's football, the Super League on, uh, you know, even if it's on the red button, there's still exposure there. But, of course, uh, I think I'm right in saying Sky have got the rights now. And if there's money being pumped into the game now, then that could only be a good thing. Because you've got to remember, you know, there are so many people in, who have watched women's football and just absolutely decry it as, you know, for, for exactly what it is there and then at that moment in time. You've got to remember that there has not been the amount of money, the amount of coaching, um, and the amount of development in the game um, that, that men's football has obviously had ever since the Football League was, was created in, I think it was 1888. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you've got, you know, you've got probably only a 15-year-old, 20-year-old league, which is clearly going to be behind. So, you know, if you're going to decry it, then, you know, let's just take a step back, shall we, and actually look at what is, what is happening. And you can't deny that... So even over the last 10 years, the standard of women's football in England has increased Amazing. immeasurably. Lucy Bronze, Lucy Bronze is uh, a stunning athlete, among others. Yes, Izzy Christensen, is. um, yeah. Jordan Nobbs, uh, Arsenal. I've seen a lot of these top footballers, and the, the skill load that they have is great. The, I think what ne- what's going to happen next, as happened in rugby 25 years ago, is that it's going to hopefully get more physical the players will get more athletic the girls coming through will be better but never forget about the likes of I was going to say Rachel Hayho Flint but that's a different sport um Kelly Smith Rachel Yankee the great Alex Scott who has her football focus debut this weekend as we uh-huh. talk I don't know if you'll be watching or if you'll be going to Reading I can't remember who Reading have this weekend we have Preston North End this weekend, so I'll probably be on a, on, a, on some kind of mode of public transport going down from uh, or going across, going across say, from, yeah. uh, from my, my, my southwest Oxfordshire uh, abode. Um, but no, yes, absolutely, and, and and again, it's one of those things that you know, whether it be over or covert, there are lots of men who are getting, shall we call it, fed up of the number of women who are talking about the men's game. Well, go back and live with a dinosaur. 
dinosaurs um, because women can talk about football as eloquently as men can, as was you know, demonstrable. Well, it has been demonstrable ever since. I think it... Oh, I'm trying to think who was the first commentator on Match of the Day. Oh, uh, Jackie Oakley. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Jackie Oakley was, uh, was the first one I certainly listened to, and she commentates really, really well. And that was about 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think she's actually a better commentator than, uh, than, the, than the likes of Barry Davis and John Moxon, who are obviously considered institutions in, in English football commentary uh, folklore, but actually talks a better game. You know, and then you've got you know the ex-pros who are who are infil- well, not infiltrating. That's the wrong word, but, but being, uh, being integrated. introduced uh, gradually. Uh, yeah, integrated. Yes, into into the likes of Soccer Saturday and uh, Five Lives uh, coverage. Into, uh, co- yeah, and yeah. co-commentary roles. Um, the Chelsea manager, I forget her. Emma Hayes, the great Dame Emma Hayes, as she will be. Yeah, she did so so well, really really well, um, and actually provided a degree of tactical analysis mid-game at times um, during the Euros that you would never expect to receive from somebody like Danny Murphy or Jermaine Genus. Uh, you know, I don't know whether these guys think it's above, subliminally think it's above the average fan, but for me, I want to, to, I want to learn more about the game. There's always something to learn about the game, and if you can get people who are going to provide that co-commentary with that little bit of extra in-depth analysis. You know, for example, I think a, a central midfield player, I forget his name. John Swift, example. for instance. Um, yeah, had, had moved up five yards up the pitch. And what's, what's that done, you know, for, for the tactical element of the game? I want to see that and I want to hear that. But I want that pointed out to me if I've missed it. And you don't necessarily get that with some of the male co-commentators who are ex-pros. But Emma Hayes gave that, which I thought was, you know, hello, educate me. Um, and that's, that's, that's partly what co-commentators should be there for, really, Agreed. rather it's... than just providing a, um, a very subliminal, top-level overview of what's going on. I, I got fed up with Five Live during the Euros. I was really into Five Live a couple of years ago. And you know how it used to have um, Alan Green and Mike Ingham taking a half each? Yeah. The final, yeah. Had, or the semi-final, semi-final had um, the great uh, John Murray but also Chris Sutton and Dion Dublin and Karen Carney or whomever. We don't want that three to one ratio and we don't want the bants. Probably some of the audience do. The football fans who are kind of 50, 55, 60 want to listen to what is going on and hopefully learn about the modern game, which is so different, so far removed from the uh, what you saw at Reading's old stadium. I have been to the Medeski. <laughs> I went to see yep. Reading against Watford with Dad, and I think it was 1-0. Vidra may well have played in that season, but I went with Dad. Um, but you must have been to the Vic several times in your life. I have, yeah. Yeah, I've been to the Victor- uh, Victoria, I've been to the Victoria <laughs> Ground as well. In Stoke yeah, that as well. Um, no, I've been to, the, been to Vicarage Road, yeah. Um, I think uh, I'm right in saying it's one of, my, uh, one of the grounds that I visited most. Um, so yeah, my first visit was 2004, last day of the season, and I think Ashley Young scored a little bit of a fluky winner again, and finished one 0 to uh, to Watford. And I've been on a fairly regular basis since then. I've got a good friend who's a I'm not sure if he's a season ticket holder now, um, but he certainly was back then. Shout out to Tom, hello mate, who I um, often met up with both uh, you know both at the Medeski and at the at Vicarage Road. And had some, um, you know, had some decent days there. And we always take a reasonable following there. We normally take a good fifteen hundred, two thousand, mm-hmm. I think. And it's, you know, it's a fairly close game. It's only sort of thirty, forty miles away. And you, you know, you'll always get, you know, the crowd, you know, sort of 
attending both. I quite enjoy it. Um, it's quite uh, uh, unique in, in, in terms of, of football grounds. I like the, uh, I think, is it the, uh, the Graham Taylor stand? Um, the one that was built uh, in sort of 70s or 80s with that, that funky roof that you've got. Yeah, well, uh, initially, initially honoured Stanley Rouse. So we've got the Rouse stand, we've got the, what's now the Elton John, the Rookery End, and then the Vicarage Road stand has the families next to the away fans, separated by a big wadge of promotional guff. But yeah, it's a lovely <laughs> little ground. I can see it, well, yeah. almost see it from my window. Uh, and I'm wearing a, a Watford yeah. T-shirt in advance of Watford playing Aston Villa. Uh, in the first game of the Premier League season, back in the Premiership with our super front three. Dave Harris, um, the host of the Terrace Memoirs podcast, which starts its first full season now. Although you've, you've run on through the summer, obviously, fans never stop. And you are in the middle, as we speak, of a season of clubs who have struggled. Uh, Weymouth, Leicester City, Blackpool... Torquay United, AFC Wimbledon. You know what the AFC stands for, by the way? Uh, well, I'm assuming Athletical Football Club, but... Uh, Nothing. I'm again, presumably you're going to tell me differently. Eric Samuelson said, we only put the AFC on the top, so we were first in the ranking of 92. And uh, some other club tried to do it, and uh, the Football League got wise to it. So they're the only team with a redundant AFC. And I would love you to read Eric Samuelson's big book. Eric is the chap who took a sovereign to do the club's books uh, for 20 years. Um, and you spoke to okay. Jane Lonsdale, who was a supporter back yes. when they were Wimbledon. Uh, so I imagine that over mm-hmm. two hours, she told you all about that transition away from Plough Lane and to Selhurst Park and to Kings Meadow and now back to Plough Lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was a yeah, really, really good chat that I had with Jane. So during the, the so we call them the Troubles, uh, the Wimbledon Troubles, mm. she was uh, a, a fan at the time. Uh, she wasn't, because she, she's now co-chair of Don's Trust. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah, so at the time, yeah, she was uh, she was a fan and gave her, gave her very much from a fan's perspective, which is, you know, all, almost perfect, really, in some way. Um, and yeah, went into quite a bit of detail about what was going on, um, how um, AFC Wimbledon came about, um, and... Her perspective at the time is quite a, a, a I want to call it a, a bitter listen because essentially you know it's been it's a football club that's been rent from its community and the acceptance of um, uh, ultimately they've had to they've had no choice but to accept that Milton Keynes exists but yeah there's still very very much a lot of, of bad blood and what was interesting from that actually was the and we touched on it very very briefly was the acrimony that comes from the Milton Keynes end towards Wimbledon and what the fans did there because they view it as Wimbledon fans deserted their club. Now it would be interesting to see what ha- what would happen perhaps if the if the shoe was on the other foot and essentially reds from Milton Keynes. Yeah, will you speak to a Milton Keynes fan? Yes, I will do. Okay. Yes, eventually. Um, I think it's absolutely right. You know, in 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 terms of of, of cases like this, you know, uh, I think it's absolutely right that you get both sides of the story. So you know, I'm not. I'm. I'm certainly not a snob when it comes to that kind of thing. You know, everybody has to accept that Milton Keynes Dons exist, whether we like how they uh, how they were brought into existence or not. They do exist. They do have fans. Let's face it; they've been around I, I now for the one. best part of eighteen years. Yeah. There are now, you know, yeah, there are now um, uh, fans who. You know, there's, there's essentially a generation of Milton Keynes Dons fans. They, they exist. So you, you know, it's only right. You know, in a democratic society, that you give those people the 
the right to wear their thoughts, their opinions, and of course their own story. Unless so I think it'll be a very interesting one, actually. Of so. course, unless they're when Saturday comes, who, as you might not know, uh, always say no questions asked when they ask for the future um, season predictions for Milton Keynes. They just they really mm-hmm. because it was covered so desperately twenty years ago when uh, Wimbledon became. Milton Keynes, when Pete Winkleman wrenched them to Milton Keynes. 9th of October is the date for your diaries. Uh, I'm thinking about going up there if there are tickets, because it's not far from me. It's a quick train from Watford to Milton Keynes. Uh, 9th of October, unless otherwise stated. Uh, But it's going to be feisty because the clubs didn't have fans there last year. Uh, The return fixture at Plough Lane. The first match at Plough Lane against Milton Keynes Dons. With fans. Mm -hmm. Yum. April 9th. That will be interesting. Yeah, um, it's interesting that Jane did say that she doesn't actually attend those fixtures because she simply doesn't know how she's going to going to react, oh. um, and so she thinks it's better. And she, bearing in mind, as I say, she's she's co-chair of Don's Trust, and she has a, a, a position of respectability and a position of responsibility. Um, and you know, she can't predict how she's going to be. She's quite an, an emotive woman. I, I think I got that from the from the two and a half to three hours that we actually spent chatting. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, she she will not be in attendance, and and of course we all know that um, directors that don't go into each other's um, boardrooms and whatnot before games, and of course there was that time when uh, when uh, they met at Kings Meadow, and um, the the match day program of course didn't have the Milton Keynes Don's logo, uh, their, their badge on it. It was just refer- they were just referred to as Milton Keynes, um, and there was almost no um, no acknowledgement that they. You know, that the football club really existed in the matchday programme. So whether people will think that's petty or not, you can't blame Wimbledon fans. They have seen Wimbledon fans for, for sticking by their guns on their thoughts and feelings. Nobody else is in that position, really, where where they've had their club wrenched from their from their traditional community 70 miles up the road. So, you know, it would be like, you know, for example, she gave a good example, actually, of Reading being um, rooted up and uh, being taken down to Southampton or Eastleigh or somewhere like that. And, yeah. you know, we wouldn't accept that. You're going to have to make do with the car park by the Waitrose. And it's a perfectly nice stadium. Nothing wrong with it. It's just I don't want it to be an out-of-towner. Um, but that is the way. And I'll talk about that more with John Keane uh, when I talk to him about his book, which you recommended to me. Can you just give a, a sentence about your role in this book? I can, absolutely, yeah. So John Keane is a good friend of mine. Um, he's now living, he's, uh, now living up in Scotland. But, yeah, we, we had a number of... Uh, good away days together, driving up and getting trains and whatnot. And John had always had this this idea that he wanted to write a book about Reading's 106 season, the season we were promoted to the Premier League for the first time ever with a record points total, 106 points. Um, and he wanted to write a book about how that came about and, you know, eventually got around to it in sort of 2014-15 time. So, you know, there was a number of us who were uh, in, a, in his close friendship group, uh, myself and Neil Maskell, who, of course, is episode two on my podcast, you know, we're both heavily quoted in it. We um, helped him with the proofreading, and uh, I helped him with the statistical and, and uh, statistical side, particularly with the, the season, the, the 0506 season. Um, so a lot of the, uh, the stats analysis in there and, and, and facts and figures are uh, as a result of essentially uh, me just sort of corralling all the information together. And uh, yeah, as I say, it's, we're both quite heavily quoted alongside the likes of uh, Sir John Madeski and uh, Paula Martin, who is uh, chair of uh, Supporters Trust at Reading, and a number of other uh, fans and, and people of note around the, uh, the sort of community and, uh, and Supporters Trust. I look forward to reading it uh, because that means I do get to put a big tick against Reading. 